Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining me tonight here on Golf Talk Live, another Thursday evening, uh, April 25th. We're uh, getting ready to close out another month. It's hard to believe we're going to be uh, next uh, middle of next week. We're going to be in the month of May. Um, I don't know where this year is going, but it's going by awfully quick. But anyways, I want to thank everybody for joining me tonight. And I've uh, got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be starting here in just a moment with uh, the Coach's Corner panel, and I'll bring the guys out here in just a minute. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be uh, welcoming back a, a guest of mine, Alan Martin. He's the author of the book Thumbs Down, uh, Golf Instruction Made Simple, a great book. And uh, he's also the regional director of Ontel uh, Corporate Golf uh, Wellness and also the creator of Turn Golf Into Business. So we're going to talk to him a little bit later on in the broadcast. Um, also, let me remind everybody, of course, this season, uh, GolfSwing.com is going to be sponsoring the Coach's Corner panel segment here on Golf Talk Live for the season. And I'm going to tell you just a little bit about them. And a little bit later on in the show, before I bring Alan out, I'm going to play you uh, a short audio clip uh, or infomercial, if you will, uh, that they provided me for the season. Uh, GolfSwing.com, with its cutting-edge technology, have teamed up alongside some of the best golf instructors, coaches, and swing gurus in the business. Together, they have created one of the best video teaching and training online platforms in golf. So if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then join their online video academy and learn from some of the best. Um, join GolfSwing.com today. Watch, practice, and improve your game. Uh, as I said a little bit later on, you'll hear a little bit more from GolfSwing.com. And after the show, visit their website. They've got a great uh, online video academy. Uh, you can subscribe for a very, very uh, reasonable price, and uh, definitely check them out after the show. All right, as I mentioned, I've got a, a great uh, Coach's Corner panel uh, joining me here this evening. Uh, first up, of course, is Clint Wright, a 30-year member of the PGA of America, a partner at TGM Golf. Uh, also a big proponent of the R3 approach and one of the best covering the short game today, in my opinion, uh, plus one of my favorite guests and panelists here on the Coach's Corner. Uh, also another favorite uh, guest is Chuck Evans. He's a Golf Magazine Top 100 teacher, uh, Golf Digest Top uh, Teachers in America, and uh, one of the top 50 growth of the game teachers. He's also a director of instruction at Apache Creek uh, Golf Club in Apache, Apache Junction, Arizona, and of course owner of Chuck Evans Golf. Uh, guys, welcome to the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, glad to be here, Ted. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, I appreciate, I appreciate it, guys. As always, uh, uh, I think we're I think we're the oldest crew on the Coach's Corner panel in one evening, so we're sure. going to have to try and keep our pace up, I guess. Um, only kidding, guys. Uh, as always, I thank you or, for, or for joining me on the panel. It's uh, Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I, I want to thank you guys, as always, for, for joining me here on, on the uh, the show. It's always a pleasure, and, and I appreciate you guys giving uh, so generously of your time. So thank uh, God, guys. I really mean it. Um, all right, I want to talk about something just a little bit different here to start things off. I do have some points that I want to get to uh, here in a little bit, but um, obviously we're a couple of weeks out from the Masters. 
and had a very exciting Masters this year. Obviously, uh, Tiger Woods came back after many, many years of what seemed like absent, uh, absentee on the course. Uh, certainly has played a number of tournaments, but just didn't seem to, to get everything uh, jiving together. I want to get both of your thoughts on how you uh, perceive the Masters this season, and particularly Tiger's uh, performance. Uh, Chuck, I'm going to start with you. Well, uh, I think that, uh, you know, Tiger, Tiger moves the needle in golf. So when he wins something like the Masters, you know, it brings people back out that have taken, you know, had their clubs put away for a while. It gets, it gets junior golfers right. excited. It gets, it gets beginning golfers excited. Um, his golf swing looked really good. It's a culmination of things that, he and Como had been working on for a long time, uh, and that was kind of the culmination of it. Uh, you know, getting standing up taller through the ball without as much uh, side bend, and taking some of that pressure off of his back. So, and you know, he's he's when he's on if he's making putts, he's hard to beat, and he he was making a lot of putts. So I think it was great actually. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I enjoyed, uh, obviously I didn't watch all of the tournament, but I did make sure I tuned in Sunday to see the final round, uh, which was obviously the, the most important round because that's when, when the, the win happens. But um, I was very excited to see him. Clint, what about yourself? I mean, here Tiger's come back from a lot of injuries. His back uh, primarily has really bothered him over the last several years. And then, of course, he's had multiple times his knee uh, I believe it was his left knee uh, has given out on him, and he's had, uh, you know, many operations there as well. Um, but to come back at 43, uh, only a few years shy of when Nicholas uh, won his uh, Masters uh, in 86 at, uh, I believe, 46 years of age, uh, he's yeah. getting up there. Um, how do you think he fared, and, and what did you? What, was there anything that particularly that impressed you about how he played that weekend? Well, it's, it's obvious. Everything Chuck said was absolutely correct. I mean, people get excited about it. It, it also gets uh, – a win like that gets golf back on the major platforms and media of all kinds. Uh, it's major major news on, on the nightly news and CNN. Everywhere it was the major story of the weekend, obviously. And, you know, I thought he obviously played very conservative, um, right. took what he's – He'll give him, and uh, like I say, he made everything he looked at. I mean, he he was back to the old putting style, and it looked right. like he had some confidence in what he was doing, and, and made a lot of putts. But I, I think most importantly, what it it proved is that Tiger Woods never learned how to play golf. He had always played. He just simply got better. Right. All right, he, you know, so it was instinctive for him until his his body gave away, and it proves the point that even as great as Tiger Woods' uh, game was through those dominant years, uh, mm-hmm. he relearned how to play. Right. And I think we all can do that as we get older. And we joke about how right. old we are, but as we get older, <laughs> we can all relearn how to play with what we have. Uh, and, I, and I think he proved that. I, I, if you go back and look at the videos of his dominant years compared to what he did over the last couple of months, and, and particularly uh, in a couple of weeks ago, you know, it's dramatically different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tiger went through a very difficult time of having to learn how to use what he had to play. And that's very difficult to do. 
it's kind of like that old dog in new tricks. It's just not something that everybody can do. And I think that his win at the Masters proved that he's just as mentally strong as he ever was. Uh, in order to do what he did, he had to be, you know, completely uh, present and also very persistent and not giving up. And very much a Nicholas asked type mental uh, tournament. Very focused, I thought. Yeah, I would even go as far as to say I think he's even more focused now. Uh, I think mentally he's he's even stronger. I mean, to have to go through a stretch of 11 years, he hasn't won a major. He, I think really other than one or two, uh, I know he won the Players' Championship, I believe right. it was last year, um, you know, which is obviously a pretty, a pretty good uh, challenge as well. Uh, TPC is a tough golf course. But, you know, he really hasn't, racked up a lot of wins in in almost 11 years and he just what i noticed about him and and you both really sort of touched on this what i really noticed is if again if you go back to his earlier days he was a much more aggressive player you know he would get out there and he would take uh certainly much more risks and 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 would capitalize on on certain issues what i noticed about this particular masters is it was a, a more of a calmness in his play it was a more reserved and conservative play, and he certainly took advantages when they when the opportunities presented themselves. But he didn't really play overly aggressive in in most of his uh, his rounds, and particularly on the final round, he waited for those opportunities. He played his game. He stuck to the game that he knew he was capable of doing based on the years of, of training and 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 understanding and level of competition. And he didn't try to do anything uh, outside of that that regimen, if you will. And uh, I give, uh, you know, Chuck, as you did, I give uh, kudos to his, his current coach, you know, really for, uh, you know, f- making him stay. One of the things that I guess, to back up for a second, that kind of drove me crazy a little bit about Tiger is for a while there, he seemed to get into that pattern that so many of the top players do where they try to make a lot of changes. I mean, he went from Butch and then he, you know, he was with Hank and, you know, and so on and so forth. And then with uh, Sean Foley for a while, and it, it was almost like he was trying to find something different. And I think sometimes, as you pointed out, Clint, you know, he's been a player, you know, his whole life. He didn't learn how to play. He just had it instinctively. And I think when he sticks with what he knows and doesn't try to adapt or do something different than what is already ingrained in his his psyche, if you will, I think he serves himself well. And I think that's what we saw at the Masters this year. Oh, absolutely. Um, any other? Well, and just in, yeah, just to be clear, Chris Como is not his coach. Uh, Chris right. was working with him. Everything they were working right, on, yeah, you're right, was a culmination of what I saw at the Masters. So that and 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 uh, right, he did have that calmness about him, but he got pumped up when he, you know, he had a couple of fist pumps. I mean, he was kind of the old tiger right. at times, but you know, when, yeah, great, yeah, great. You, know, you got to remember, you got to remember that last year he's in the final group of the U.S. Open and the final group of the British Open. So, you know, it's not like he's been playing poorly, you know. No, he certainly has been there, but I think what a lot of it was, is it just didn't seem, um, it was almost like there was a little bit of an edge that was taken off his game over the last several years. It's almost like he was yeah. almost there, but not quite. And what I certainly saw at the Masters was him really arriving back to and it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season goes for him you know is this going to be an isolated incident where he comes back and wins his 15th major and 
you know, really doesn't, you know, capitalize the rest of the season, or is this going to propel him into, um, it certainly may not be as, as big as some of his earlier years, but it'll be interesting to see how this year plays out for him. I think it's going to be a, a big, um, you know, a big shift either way. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. I'm very excited for him, and I'm very excited, Chuck, as you pointed out, for the game as well. Um, I think, you know, anytime Tiger's in the hunt, it's much like when Nicholas was in his, um, you know, prime, people were excited to see Nicholas come out there and, and, uh, and especially when it was around majors time. So to see how, and also he's going to be coming into the, to, um, the U S open this year is going to be at Pebble beach, uh, which is a favorite course of his, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he, he does there as well. So, um, but great thoughts guys. And I was just curious to see, uh, uh, what your take was on it. Uh, I think we were pretty much all on the same page on that one. All right. So what I wanted to talk about, um, you know, for, for many in, in the country still, depending on where you are, we're, you know, it's the dawning of a new season, if you will. Obviously, people have already been out starting to play some golf. Um, and, and what I wanted to talk with, and Chuck, I'm, or, uh, sorry, Clint, I'm going to start with you on this here. Um, one of the, I guess, the difficult things that we have um, with a lot of our students is getting them to get out there and practice. You know, we can tell them, give them all the tips that we want, show them all of the, uh, you know, the fundamentals and things like that, but really getting them to practice. Um, so what I'd like to do is talk about creating a, a solid practice regimen, if you will, that's simple, that's repeatable, that's easy, that doesn't take a lot of time, but will get results for them. Uh, this year, because you know everybody now is complaining they don't have enough time, and you know they just they can't do this. So I would like to talk about some suggestions, give some suggestions for the listeners out there that are tuning in tonight uh, of a of a practice regimen that they can do that's going to yield them some good results, but it's not going to take up a lot of time. Uh, what are your thoughts there, uh, Clint? Well, there, there could be a number of of things that you could talk about. Obviously, depending on whether you're coming out of the snow belt and uh, just getting back to playing some, or whether you're more in the southern area where it's just more of a good weather versus bad weather type type issue. Uh, for coming out of the, uh, the the snow belt, I mean, I, I think the the people have to try to get into some simple practice routine and simply try to build in uh, a rhythm and balance uh, type regiment to get started. Find your find your rhythm and balance, and then work your way back into your old game. Um, we talked about this uh, with a gentleman a couple of days ago. That if they've been playing well, or at the end of the season playing well, they they need to have made some notes on how they got there. What steps did they take to to get to where they were comfortable with their their game, and then repeat that. Start over at A, and right. then move on to B, and then move on to C. But if they have that that information, uh, then they, that would be where that routine would begin. Um, if they're in more of the the year-round areas of the, of the country, uh, I think that they have to start looking at evaluating their 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 game as a whole and determine where they're going to get the most bang for their buck as far as practice right. time. And, and obviously, you both and everybody that listens well know that. Then my theory there is is you stay within 50 to 60 yards of the green, be good there, and all the rest will take care of itself. Uh, so yep. from a regiment standpoint, I would get a person working in putting. I want to see them work on distance control. Like we talked right. a few years ago about having benchmark strokes, 
hone in on that and make sure that you're comfortable with, with your benchmark strokes for distance and, and control that. If you can, even if you don't make a lot of putts from, from outside of 10 feet, if you've got distance control, you're going to be successful. You just can't hit it that far right or left of the hole. So work on some drills. There, there's many a drills out there for distance control, uh, but benchmark stroke is the one that I think has been best. And stay with that regiment. Spend most of your time there, then back away, and spend as l little time as you can uh, on the range as far as working on a routine. Um, you know, I, I work with some college kids and some high school kids, and one of the things we're beginning to do is you have to earn your way to the practice tee. Right. And with a, a putting and chipping standard that we can develop for a player, you've got to earn your way to get over there. So for the average person, if they have a routine of going out and putting from short range, you know, lag putting, set yourself a standard that you've got to earn your way off of that putting green. And then you earn your way off the chipping area. Then you go over and you can practice what you really may want to, but you have to earn your way there. So as far as a routine or regiment, give yourself some standards to work off of and then work your way through them to get over to the practice area. And I think you'll, you'll find some good results there. Yeah, I, I like that strategy. Um, Chuck, you know, something else, too, that I think when people hear practice, you know, they think, well, i got to be out there for an hour beating balls, and i got to do this and do that. And, and really, if you're practicing effectively and with a purpose, as, as Clint was really suggesting there, um, you don't need to take a lot of time. You can actually spend very little time as long as it's quality time. So if you – let's take both of those scenarios because really there are different scenarios. Obviously, you've got your, your snowbirds and, and those that are sort of just, you know, uh, coming out of hibernation. And then you've got your, uh, the other folk that are down here in the southeast and southwest that have a little bit warmer climate uh, and can play all year round. So let's take it from both categories. If you've got somebody that's just sort of uh, coming out from a, uh, a winter thaw and they're just getting back into the game – let's set them up with something that's going to yield them some results, but it's not going to take a lot of time, um, as much time as what most people might think. And then we'll do the same thing with, uh, uh, with some of our seasonal uh, all-year-round players. Well, you know, I, j I just had this conversation uh, last uh, or Monday of this week uh, with a player. He says, you know, I, I want to devote 20 hours a week you know, to practice, what do I need to do? And I said, well, first, you don't need to devote 20 hours. I said, <laughs> if you're going to do 10 hours, max out 10 hours, okay? And 80% of that should be your wedges and putting. Uh, so you've got chipping, pitching, bunkers, putting, right? I said, uh, and then the rest of it work on full swing. But when you're working on full swing, don't work on, on block practice, standing there hitting the same clubs, the same flag time after time after time change targets, change clubs, practice like you're on course. You know, this is a, it's game-like practice, not just standing there, you know, beating 200 golf balls. Um, you know, because I, I firmly believe that if, you're, if you don't change your full swing one lick, but you get better from 100 yards in, you can drop five to seven shots easily. If, you, if, you're, if you're a decent wedge player, and a decent putter. You don't have to be great; just be decent. Right. So I, I like to I like to see uh, people when you know because they're coming back out. Let's say after they've had the 
the clubs in the rust bucket for the whole winter up north, you know, they start going out and then about oh, late September, early October, they finally find their groove and now it's time to put the clubs back up. Well, right. if you'd have been, been practicing all winter and that doesn't involve <laughs> hitting balls necessarily, it just involves using a mirror, something you can see your reflection in and right, if nothing else, a tennis racket. So you can see what the club face is doing. You can monitor everything that you're doing. Um, you know, like I said, when I was in Kansas City, we had indoor training, and they're hitting into a net. We did that all winter long so that when spring would come around, we wouldn't have to start all over and then get it, you know, halfway through the season and finally, you know, finish work. So, uh, but you can, you can putt in your living room if you have to. You can hit little chips in your living room. Um, and you can make full swings in front of a mirror. Just just watch yourself. Don't you know? There's no golf ball there, so don't worry about the golf ball. But you have to build in these series of motions, and good, bad, or indifferent. If you're when you talk about practice, and they say, well, practice makes perfect. No, practice makes permanent. Only perfect practice makes perfect. So there's not a lot of sense in going to the range and hitting 60 yard slices. At, at a rapid fire pace, you go through a large bucket in ten minutes. That does zero to build any confidence or any kind of pattern. Yeah, and well said. Um, and, and the other thing too, I think, guys, is you know we want to get them out in the golf course. You know when we're working with them and that, get them in a playing lesson, get them to actually have real on course experience. But at the same time, when we do want them to practice in between lessons uh, and practice in between rounds, we want it to be quality practice. And that's something that I think a lot of people, and both of you touched on it, um, that seems to be lacking. People get out there and they're just sort of raking the ball. We've talked about this many times before. And I I think that, you know, I I like, you know, Clint, what you said about sort of setting those benchmarks uh, along the way, not just on the putting surface, but even in the chipping uh, arena and, and even in the pitching arena, set something and, and so that um, you know you've you've got a definitive goal that you're working towards, uh, and it's not necessarily you know hitting the perfect shot, um, but you've set some benchmarks whether it be again putting or, or what have you, and I think once you do that and use that as a guide, um, because if you look at some of the best players, um, you know obviously they, they spend a little bit more. Are you there? Where'd you go? I think we lost On certain There you are. Okay. We, have, right. we lost you for about six seconds here. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sorry about that. You again. Um, all right. Can you hear me now, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm um, Sorry about that. It must have been a, a little glitch. Um, but anyways... You know, we see a lot of people that, um, you know, just sort of go out there haphazardly and not really having a, a firm, uh, affirmative game plan, as both of you are suggesting. So, I mean, this is the key, I think, for most people when they're coming out uh, in a new season, particularly for those that haven't played in a few months, uh, is to, to get out there and to practice with some sort of purpose. And even if you're only practicing for 20 to 30 minutes at a time, as long as it's good quality practice and in the right areas and not just, again, raking and hitting balls, 
you're going to become a better player over the season. And uh, if you can do things in the off season, as you suggested, Chuck, whether it be standing in front of a mirror and just checking some of the points and just, you know, checking, making sure that you're aligned correctly in that, um, again, that's going to help you uh, when you get back into the season. All right, the next question I want to, uh, Clint, I'm going to come back to you. Um, you know, we all hit some bad shots uh, out in the golf course, whether it be off the tee or our approach to the green. And a lot of times that can derail either a hole or in some cases even a round. How do we recover from that? I know this is more of a mental side of the game, but what do you suggest? And if you've got players that, you know, come to you and say, hey, you know, Clint, I played in a tournament last week and I've hit some bad shots here and I just can't seem to, you know, get past that. What do you do? What do you say to them? Uh, you know, what's the conversation that you have with them to help them get around that? I guess even from my game and, and people I work with, I said, you know, you, you think about the amount of time that you're going to spend on your golf game. You're an amateur player. And, it, and this goes before they have that bad day. I said, look, you're going to hit a percentage of good shots. You're going to hit a percentage of fair shots. And then you're going to hit a few bad ones in every round. Just expect that. Yeah. It's going to happen. The best players in the world, you know, hit bad shots. So expect you're going to do that. So I don't see it as a point of recovery from, let's say, making a double bogey on a, on a hard par four. You almost have to expect that may happen. And so it's not a matter of recovery. It says, okay, I, I figure I'm going to hit four bad shots a day. I've hit two of them now. I only got two left. So I, I'm, I'm upbeat now. Because ex- I'm expecting right. not to hit every shot perfect, so there it is. So there's nothing in my mind to recover from. I expected to hit a shot like that today. I go try to do the best I can on the next one. Hopefully it wasn't bad enough. I can't get my third shot on the green and two-putt and make a bogey. But I, I expect to hit those shots, so I don't really get all that upset about it, uh, nor does it take me off of my, my normal thought pattern or swings. I think that where people have trouble sometimes expecting not to hit those shots. When they show up, they get frustrated. Then they try to fix mm-hmm. it, find something new, you know, on the course, and then that one shot's going to multiply right. and the, the rest of the round is awful. So I see it as almost a prelim of going into around the golf going, hit some good shots, I'm going to hit some bad ones. I expect to do that. I'm going to hit that bad shot. Hopefully I can get back on the golf course and chip and putt well to overcome it. But it's not something that's going to throw me off of what I was trying to do because I expected to do it somewhere. So I, yeah, I, I you're exactly right. I don't think you have to recover from that if you're realistic in how your day may go. Right. Right, exactly. And, and I think, too, guys, the other thing that um, – you know, a, a lot of um, people do, and Clint, you, you just pointed to this a second ago, is that, you know, they get out there and they start tinkering with their mechanics out on the golf course. They hit a couple of bad shots and right away they think, well, maybe my grip's not right or maybe I'm not, you know, I'm standing too far away from the ball. So I, they start inching up closer. And the next thing, you know, a, a very small problem becomes a very big problem very quickly. Um, and, and this sort of brings me into the next question, uh, Chuck, I've got for you. It's a little bit different. Um, playing this hole and not the next hole. And, and why I ask that is a lot of times people are thinking about the past hole or they're thinking about, you know, maybe a, a, a difficult hole that's coming up next, and they're not really focusing in the moment. So, uh, again, when you're out with a playing lesson and you're, you're teaching your students uh, at a, 
whatever hole, whether it be a par three, par four, or par five, doesn't matter. How do you keep them focused on that hole and not thinking about the next hole that's coming up or the one that just happened? Well, so I so I t- I explain to them that anxiety is always in the future or the past. It's never in the present. So if you're thinking about a hole in the future or you just came off a double bogey and you're still thinking about that, that's creating anxiety. And the way that I explain it is, you know, your day's going pretty good. You open your mail. Oh, here's a letter from the IRS. You're getting audited. Well, that audit is in the future based on our return you did in the past. So, But it's never in, in the current space. So it's the first thing you got to do is relieve all that anxiety. And again, future and past are what create anxiety. So we just try to keep them focused on that particular, that particular hole or that particular shot. And, you know, you can get too focused standing there saying, boy, I've got to hit this in the fairway. That again, that's in the future, uh, or I've got to birdie this right. hole. Yeah, you can tell you can tell yourself that, but again, if you do that too often, you start thinking. You know, again, it's, it's too much future and past, and the anxiety creeps in. I mean, I know uh, firsthand lots of players uh, on the PGA Tour that, as long as they're on the practice range, they're pretty calm and, and melancholy. But as soon as they put that first first peg in the ground on the first tee and they announce their name, their whole demeanor changes. They can barely right. draw the club back. All right. So because they're again, it's going into the future. You've got these people looking at you, expecting, oh, he's a tour player, he's gonna do this or she's gonna do that. So you just have to stay and it's not the old one shot at a time thing. Uh it, it's just relaxing and swinging the club how you're going to swing the club, whether it's good or bad, it is what it is. And what I see a lot of amateurs do is they'll hit a bad shot. And the first thing they do, a lot of times they'll either slam the club in the ground or they slam it into their bag. They get, they find that ball. They don't make any rehearsals and they swing again. They hit another bad shot. Right. And that's because there's, that's because there's two computers. There's a golf ball and there's your brain. Well, if you don't make a rehearsal after you hit a bad shot and you get to that ball, if you haven't made a rehearsal to clean up what you think caused that shot, you're going to hit it again because that's it's a program. You didn't reprogram it with positive. You programmed it with negative again. Yeah, and you know, you, you, you raise a very interesting point, uh, Chuck, about um, you know making that practice swing again. You know, the whole reason why um you know tour pros have a pre-shot routine is not just to practice the swing uh or just to practice the get the feeling of of how they want to hit the ball it's also a way that they can use to to sort of recompose themselves um, particularly after a bad shot that's why they go through that and that's why they keep it consistent so that way it helps them to refocus uh, when they've hit a bad shot or played a bad hole, that's the moment that they use to regroup, if you will. And this is something you're exactly right. I mean, Clint, Chuck, we've we've seen it a thousand times where we'll see a player hit uh, an amateur hit a, a bad shot, and you know whether it's thumping in the ground or hitting the bag or or mumbling something on their breath or yelling it out, one of the two. 
um, you know, we see them, uh, their anxiety levels go up. And what people don't realize is when you do that, then tension creeps in. And especially if you're hitting your, your, your short game shots, you can't have, I mean, you really can't have it in any part of your game, but particularly in your short game, whether it be the putter or you got a, a pitching wedge or something in your hand. And if you've got a lot of tension, particularly in your upper body, um, you're not going to execute it properly. You're going to flip at it or you're going to end up chunking it. And then the anxiety level keeps going up. So that's why better players, whether they're tour players or just better uh, lower handicap players, you'll see them go through a pre-shot routine. You will see them do that consistently. The better players do that every single shot. And if you don't do that, then you're going to run into these problems. And that, in my opinion, is really the difference between amateurs and professionals. Professionals just do it better, do it more consistently, and that's really the only difference. Yeah, they hit bad shots just like we hit bad shots, but they know how to recover from those bad shots. Yeah, and normally their dispersion on their bad shots isn't that far off versus the average player. And, you know, how many times have we had players come to us and say, yeah, my practice swing is great, but then I get over the ball and I can't hit it. Well, that's because right. you're over the ball. Don't look at the ball. Look at a point. Right. I, I, can, I can just tell you I've got a, a pretty good amateur player that I work with, and he struggles a lot with swing process information. I mean, and just staring the ball down, right? So I just right. eliminated the ball. I said, I said, if you're in a if you're in a greenside bunker, you're trying to hit behind the sand, hit the ball, or hit in front. He said, Well, I'm trying to hit behind it. I said, Why? He said, Because I want the sand to throw the ball out first. I don't want to hit the ball first. I said, So if I want to hit the ball first on the practice tee or on the on the or on the golf course, where would I look? Behind the ball, at the ball, or in front of the ball? He goes, Well, if I want to hit ball first, I'd look in front. I go, Good. So now just focus all your attention to that spot in front. And so he started hitting shot after shot after shot. He goes, well, this is just way too easy. And I go, no, you made it way too hard. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, that's the, the, the thing, Clint. And, you know, there's another, um, you know, as Chuck just mentioned here, you know, it, we make it, uh, we make it difficult on ourselves a lot of times when we're out in the golf course and our players do that. Our students do that. And sometimes even we do that. Um, so I think in addition to having a good uh, pre-shot uh, routine, you've got to have a, a playing strategy when you get out on the golf course. When you, whether you're playing and yeah. uh, you know with your, your foursome on the weekend uh, or whether you're playing in a corporate event or, or just uh, in some other uh, local event, you know, you've got to have a playing strategy because it does a couple of things. It takes your mind off of really non-important uh, issues throughout the, the round. You're not thinking swing mechanics, you're thinking strategy. So walk us through that a little bit. What, what's a good strategy for, for some of our, our high handicappers to be thinking about as they're going through the round? What should they be focusing on to help take their mind off some of these other issues that are just sort of fogging up the brain? Who are you going to? Well, one of the things... No, ahead, sorry, Clint. Uh, Clint, that was for you. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, uh, Chuck, you can go ahead if you if you had a thought going there. No, no, no. You, okay. I'm, I'm, I've got. It's, I'm just going to give a. I'm just going to yeah. give a for instance. So. Yeah. Well, one thing before we get into that is that one of the things I've done too, before you talk about recovering stuff, is that 
I don't have people work on practice swings. I frame it as being a rehearsal swing. Get up there and rehearse exactly what right. you want to do. And then that may help you calm right. down and move on forward. Um, you know, uh, on-course strategy depends on the level of player. You know, we work with, most of us, we work with some good players, and, and we have a different strategy. But for the average player, you know, what's the difference between hitting an 8-iron or a 9-iron into a green or a 7 or an 8-iron? You know, I like to see the players think about advance the ball, advance the ball, and then, and then play scoring. Um, and if you're you're having trouble keeping a driver in a fairway and you think you got to hit it, drop back and play your favorite wood. Move the ball down the fairway in a reasonable fashion. And maybe you're not hitting a pitching wedge. You might have to hit a nine iron into the green or maybe an eight. But I don't see where there's a big difference between those yardages as far as the core strategy is concerned. You know, I was working with uh, coaches with one of the little high school teams here, and I told them, you know, these guys, they're, they're a young group, and they're shooting the high 90s and low 100s sometimes. You know, they're, they're, they're young high school or middle school kids. And I said, look, just teach them how to, how, to, how to get their third shot on the green and teach them how to two-putt. And if they can get their third shot on the green and two-putt every time, they're going to shoot 90. And one of the coaches looked at me and said, yep. that ain't right. I said, well, you do the math. It's right, you know. <laughs> right. You know, and, and, and the light, you could see the light went off. He said, you're right. I mean, we've never, you know, even in his game, he said, I've never thought about that before. And I said, look, mm-hmm. and if you get decent good at it, you're going to shoot in the mid-80s because you're going to get it on the par threes and two shots and two putt. And those right. are the strategies I like players to back up Says, okay, you know, I'm a ninety, a mid ninety shooter. I want to shoot eighty five. What do I need to do to shoot eighty five? What kind of scores do I need to make on par threes, par fours, and par fives in order to shoot my target score? And then go about figuring out how to do that. And it very well may be that you you hit your favorite hybrid off the tee all day long, and hit it again in the fairway, get it up around the green in two shots, and and chip and putt. I think people would be amazed if they just worked on those third-shot clubs, being able to two-putt every green, get the third shot on the green, and if they played to that, if they played to get to that spot, they're going to shoot better scores, without a doubt. Right. And and so right. my strategy is basically said, I want to say what kind of score do I want to shoot, and then how do I have, what do I have to do to go about doing that? Now, if I have an accomplished player, hey, we want to shoot under par, then – we have to take a different strategy. We have to figure out how to advance it in the proper place and then advance it onto the green. So greens and regulation become an issue. So how many greens do I need to hit to shoot the score I want with my putting ability? You know, so I always try to work a person back off of their target score and then work a strategy to get there. Uh, and, right. and most of the time it works. Are you there? Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Well said. Yep. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Um, no, well said. Um, Chuck, what about you? What uh, what what's a good strategy for you to to work with on a player, uh, get them focused on playing the game, and not so much on their mechanics or other thoughts that might be creeping in. Well, I, you know, most players that hundred and 35 to 150 yards out, um, 
is better for them than trying to bash a driver, hitting it over in the junk, and then having to take a penalty stroke or take three more strokes to get it to the green. So uh, I'll find out what's your comfortable range hitting into a green. And whatever it is they tell me, we just do the math backwards, kind of like Clint does. And we say, okay, so we're going to hit this club. And even if you miss it, you'll have this yardage. But then the other thing I do is I look at angles. Uh, for instance, you know, our our first hole is a dog leg left. You can see the 150 out, and to the right of it is a bunker. Behind or through the fairway is water. So the, that shot actually calls for a for a, for a draw, taking it way down the left side, uh, because if you hit driver, you're going to hit it all the way through. I have a guy who's going to be actually 92 tomorrow. So when we go out on the golf course, he has a tendency to hit his shot to the right of the 150. Well, he can just hit his the same shot, aim a little more left, and if he's left of the 150, it saves him 40 yards into the green. If he's right of the 150, he cannot reach the green. But if he's left of the 150 and cut that 40 yards off, he can get it to the front all day long. So that's – I'd like to see what their tendency is and then find a way with angles to give them less yardage into it, into the approach shot. Yeah, another great point as well, uh, Chuck. You know, this is the thing. You don't have to hit the ball a great distance. Yes, it's nice if you can crank it out there, you know, 250-plus. Um and if you're really uh, uh, youthful and you're a young hitter and you can hit it out 300, that's fantastic. But I think more people instances of how uh, of wanting to hit it, you know, a mile down the middle of the fairway instead of playing uh, a strategy of, you know, even if they can hit it only 150, I would rather hit it 150 straight and keep it in play than hitting 250 and being all over the place because then it right. it it uh, just as you pointed out, Chuck, it it, it uh, takes away opportunities. If I'm hitting it over the right side of the fairway and it's adding 30, 40 extra yards to my shot, now it makes my approach much more difficult. Um, whereas if I hit it, you know, uh, maybe only 150 or 175, but I'm putting it in position that I want it to be in, that increases my opportunity. Um, you know, I might not uh, get to the par fives in, in two shots, but I'm going to be playing uh, consistently and I'm going to be playing accurately. And as, as Clint pointed out, you know, those numbers are going to, uh, are going to come down. And if I two putt every green, then I'm, you know, hitting in the 90 uh, range or even less than 90. And most golfers nowadays, uh, just the stats show that over 50% of the golfers are barely breaking 100. Most of them are not even breaking 100. Some of them aren't even breaking, uh, you know, 90 and, and and less. So, you know, it's a very, very small percentage of people that are doing that. And it's mainly because of how they play the game. It's not whether they can hit the ball great. I've seen lots of players that can't hit the ball worth beans. I mean, a good professional comes to mind is Chichi Rodriguez. I mean, I don't think I ever saw him in a straight shot in his entire life. He bent that ball so many different directions, but he knew where to put the ball and he knew what he was capable of doing. He had a strategy and he was very successful in his career. Um, and yet we see lots of players out in the PGA Tour that can hit it dead straight, like a Luke Donald, and I hate to pick on Luke all the time, um, but he's not winning a lot of events. So, right. you know, and, and it goes to 
the strategy. There's a lot of great tour players out there that are not winning. And it's not a numbers game. It's, it's purely not having a good strategy on course. You can be the straightest ball striker that ever lived, but if you don't have a good on-course strategy, you're not going to close out the deal. You're not going to get up in contention. And yes, Luke's won a few tournaments, but he's not won very many compared to some others out there, and yet he is a good ball striker. So it begs the, you know, it, it sort of begs the question, what should I be focusing my practice time on? Trying to hit the perfect shot? or trying to right. execute the shot that I need to put me in those positions. And, and I think that's where well, I, a lot of people are confu- confused with. Go ahead, uh, Chuck. Yeah, and I'll give you an example. Uh, I've, got, I've got some data that shows that uh, to, the, to a center pin, right, um, collectively it is, uh, that's 30, 20, only uh, 20% actually hit the green in regulation. 49% of approach shots come up short, and 5% actually hit it over the green. So, yeah, you know, that goes back to the, well, how far do you hit your five iron? Well, one time I hit it 200 yards. Okay, one right. time. What? <laughs> so if you have a 200-yard cl- club, you, you're going to hit a five iron? He goes, yeah. I go, where does that usually end up? Short. Okay, this is not rocket science. Okay, take a bigger yep. club, aim farther left. So, you know, the, the people, I, I see it every day. When I play with these guys on Thursdays, I usually ride with the same guy because he's from Kansas, Kansas City, where I'm from. And every single approach shot is at least three clubs short, at least three clubs. Right. Occasionally, Occasionally, he'll top one that will roll up to the green. And I go, man, why don't you just take more club? Well, it'll go over the green. I go, I've seen no evidence of you hitting it over the green. I've been playing with you every Thursday for a year. Take more right. club. <laughs> well, you know, to, to add to that, well, very brief, how many, how many times have you played a golf course that had a bunker or, or water or out of bounds behind the green? Right. We have one at our golf course, actually. Seldom, though. Yeah. It's all the troubles right, <laughs> left, or in the front. So, you know, if you want to hit it in trouble, hit it short. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I, I agree. It's like layups. Well, and, and it's and like thing. layups. You know, I mean, I, I, I've, right. got, I've got a really, really good college player that lays up a lot on par fives. And, uh, you know, he doesn't birdie a lot of par fives. And we had a conversation one day, and I said, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm laying out to my favorite number. And I go, well, that, that might be your favorite number, but you're, that's, that number doesn't like you because it's not producing birdies. Get that thing up right. there closer, you know. Uh, and right. he's well, making and, more and birdies. And I think what the problem know? is, and, and Chuck, you, you – right, I think the, the – the, um, problem with a lot of players and you you pointed to this just a moment ago chuck is this um you know players will go out and they'll hit 10 shots with whatever club a certain distance but they'll hit one shot maybe 20 or 30 yards more and that's the that's the shot that they remember whether it be a seven to five iron five iron they don't remember the 10 that went 150 yards they remember the one that went 175 so when they get up and that's probably what's happening with your friend that's hitting at three clubs short is he's not remembering 
the 150 yards that he hits on average with that club, he's thinking of that one that went 175. So he steps up there, uh, you know, with that with that club and thinks, okay, I, I don't want to hit it too far over the green, so I'm going to dial it back a couple of clubs just in case I, I happen to catch it good. And I don't know how many times we've all seen this, how many uh, amateurs out there miss club uh, their shots that pick the wrong club. And it happens time and time again. And this is the other reason why they don't score is they don't, their club selection. And this is part of strategy is understanding how far you hit your clubs on average. And even if you, on that one time, even if you hit, happen to hit it a little bit long, as, as Clint pointed out, very seldomly do courses have a lot of trouble behind the green unless it's a water uh, surrounded by water, but most of them don't have bonkers or water in behind. They're either left or right or short. So, you know, I would rather them be more cognizant of their club selection and picking the right club. And even if they do happen to catch it a little bit uh, more solid or thin or whatever, and it goes a little bit further than they anticipated, more often than not, they're not going to find themselves in trouble. Um, some interesting thoughts, and I and, uh, appreciate the uh, the discussion. Um, one final thing I want to do very quickly, and and this sort of rolls into um, a, a sort of a, a two questions, but into one. I'm going to roll it into one, and very quickly for both of you. Chuck, I'm going to go with you first. Um, Post-round and preparing for the next round. Um, you've gone out, you've played, whatever's happened, happened on the golf course. What do we do post-round to, to maximize uh the best uh, uh, results, I guess, and what do we do to prepare for next the next time we head out in the golf course? Well, if you, if you take it, if you, if you watch how the how elite players do that, uh, after a round, you know they'll typically get something to eat, something to drink, rest a little bit. Uh, they'll go back to the practice tee, and they'll hit uh, if they if they hit a particular club well that day, they will they will hit balls with that, reinforcing that feeling. And then whatever they didn't do so good that day, that's the one they work on. So, you know, I, I can just give right. you a, a personal example. When I was younger, I couldn't hit a long iron very well. So I all I practiced with was one, two, and three irons. And I got to a point where I could hit those closer to the pin than I could uh, a wedge. So I, I knew I was deficient in that area, so that's the area I continued to work on. My driver's always been pretty good, and right. and again, what separates those separates mainly the, the the best players in the world is who puts the best that week. That's that's basically because they all hit the ball relatively the same, or they wouldn't be out on tour. I mean, you know, you talk about right. McDonald, well, Brian Gray right. is probably probably has I'd say distance wise uh, about the same, but uh, and Brian has a really good short game. But Luke Donald's got one of the best short games on the planet, you know. But right. if you're not hitting the fairways and you're having to punch out all the time, you know, one putting for a ten doesn't make much isn't much good. No, no, you're exactly right. Um, Clint, what about you? Um, Post round and uh, preparing for next well, uh, next week's uh, event. What do you think? Some good, some good. <laughs> let me good take advice. a little different approach than what Chuck did. You know. Um, not exactly what he said is if you're if you're really wanting to improve your game, but but make sure you got all your clubs in your bag before you leave. That'll help you next time you go play. Um, got your range finder, got all your materials. Go in the clubhouse and enjoy your buddies, have a beer, and go home. 
and and then come back out and just try to do the best you can the next day. Um, but I, I think that we get sometimes uh, so much in, well, I've got to keep my stats. You know, I like to see a player keep their stats on a round. And, and then for the amateur players, after they're done with their round, maybe look it over and says, okay, for my next practice session, I hit my driver pretty good. I, my, I, you know, I hit an eight or nine greens in regulation maybe, but I really didn't chip too well from 30, 40 feet off the green when I missed it, uh, or my lag putting wasn't very good. So that will give me a little bit of a blueprint of where I need to practice next time in order to cover up some of those deficiencies. You know, I don't see that many amateur players – they're going to play 18 holes of golf, have a little, and then go back out and practice that day. So I think it's a really good idea to keep some stats right. as you play to give you that information when you do get an opportunity and a chance to go back and practice on the things you didn't do well in, in the round before. And that very well may be a few days later. But at least you got that record of what you needed to right. work on. And you can, you can, again, get a little bit more bang out of your butt for the time that you're going to be practicing to try to set yourself up to do well in your next round. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it depends on the player. I think, obviously, uh, you know, some of our lower handicap players that want to keep the momentum going, I, I agree. Uh, I think Chuck's route, I think, is, is spot on. I think that they need to get out there and, and you know, work on, on certain things. But I think for some of our really high handicappers, you know, sometimes it's just best to just, you know, close off the day, go and have a drink with your friends and, and a few laughs or whatever, and then regroup and come back a couple days later um, and, you know, take some good stats. There's a lot of great apps out there now, too, that you can uh, record a lot of the stats in. And it'll actually, um, a lot of them will either keep it on your phone or they'll send it to, uh, you know, a program or something on your computer at home. And mm-hmm. uh, you can go back and kind of review some of those notes and that a little bit later. So there's a lot of great things out there, a lot of great ways to keep up to that information. And then come back out when you're refreshed and regrouped, uh, as you said, uh, uh, Clint, uh, you know, a couple of days later. I think I think both strategies are good. I think it just depends on the player uh, and what's going to work best for them. But uh, great answers, guys, um, uh, as always. Well, guys, I, I hate to say this, but we, we've uh, wrapped up another Coach's Corner panel, and I appreciate uh, some great conversation uh, Clint, I'm going to let you start off, and then Chuck, uh, just let the folks know the best way they can reach out. Sure. Uh, again, been, it's, it's been a lot of fun, uh, Chuck, to be on with you, and Ted, you as well. But they can always uh, get me at um, clintgolf001 at yahoo.com, um, and uh, I'll be more than happy to respond to emails. And uh, hopefully everybody, it's springtime. The the pollen's getting a little down, so get out and enjoy the, the game of golf and uh we're looking forward to seeing the PGA in a few weeks. I think that's going to be an exciting week as well. So uh, thanks again, and I've certainly enjoyed it. Appreciate it, Clint. Thank you. And Chuck? Yeah, so it's uh, you can reach me through my website, chuckevansgolf.com, through all the social media, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the same, Chuck Evans. Phone number and email are on the website. You can give a buzz there. And if you're in Arizona, you can just give me a buzz. We'll get together, have some lunch, talk about your golf game. Sounds good. Well, guys, again, I appreciate you uh, doing a great job in the Coach's Corner panel, as always. And uh, I look forward to the next time. Good night. It was fun. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, Ted. See you, Clint. Thanks, guys. Bye.
All right, that was my uh, guest panelists on the Coach's Corner panel, Clint Wright and Chuck Evans. Thanks, guys, for doing a great job. And uh, as uh, mentioned earlier, uh, I am going to uh, play a short uh, audio clip from uh, the Coach's Corner sponsor, GolfSwing.com. Take a listen. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? GolfSwing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, GolfSwing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, GolfSwing.com staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better, scoring lower, having more fun, and saving money. Get your fix on demand at GolfSwing.com. All right. As I said, that's uh, the Coach's Corner sponsor, uh, GolfSwing.com. So be sure to check their uh, website after the show. And they've got a great online video, Golf Academy, uh, with some uh, literally thousands of, of great video instruction there from some of the best uh, golf instructors in the business. So go to GolfSwing.com after the show and sign up today. Uh, all right. I'm um, very excited to welcome back uh, a guest that was on last year. Uh, invited him back. Uh, we're going to talk a little uh, of course, uh, golf, and uh, I'm going to introduce him here, and then I'll bring him on. His name is Alan Martin. He's the author of the book Thumbs Down, Golf Instruction Made Simple. He's also the regional director of Ontel, uh Corporate Golf and Wellness, and also the creator uh, of Turn Golf into Business. Uh, Alan Martin is a high-impact team player with a track record of achievements as a regional sales director, manager, and key contributor in the tech, uh, technology and financial services industries. A results-driven, experienced professional with an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, is a serious recreational golfer for over 40 years and passionate about proving not only his own game, uh, but helping to grow the game as well and sharing some of his knowledge and experience with men and women, beginners, and other serious golfers that want to improve with passion. Uh, he's, as I mentioned, the author, author of Golf Instruction Made Simple and uh, uh, How to Guide for Better Ball Striking about Thumbs Down, the Power Move of Golf. Uh, it's a real-life story about... Uh, a uh, serious recreational golfer, or of course, Alan, I'm talking about with an out-of-control slice and a simple fix called Thumbs Down that saved his golf game uh, without having to reinvent the swing, as it were. Uh, as I mentioned, he's also the creator of Turned Golf into Business, an innovative marketing, business development, educational, and instructional and fundraising platform. So please welcome back my very special guest, Alan Martin. Ted, Good evening, Alan. Welcome. That, well, thank you. That's uh, That's quite an opening. I hope I deserve it, uh, but uh, I'd I'm, like to now kind I'm of sure take you... the stage. Uh, I'd like to take the stage for a second here, um, and kind of uh, reciprocate. Sure. All right. Um, look, Ted, yep. you and I have known each other now for about six months. We we connected about six months ago, and I just right. want to tell your audience really what a nice nice guy you are. What a what a great relationship we've built in a short amount of time and kind of how much I've enjoyed some of those marathon phone calls we've had that started out with, you know, just a, a quick hello turned into right. some, you know, some marathon phone calls, um, <clears throat> you know, where we got to know each other. And the fact is we see eye to eye on a lot of things, even though what I am all about as far as the game of golf, you know, I'm just an average Joe, just the average guy out there. I mean, I'm an amateur and, and, and all that. Um, but and and my techniques that fix my game and what my my book is all about are somewhat out, outside the box. And oftentimes when I talk to somebody right. that's 
more of a pro, um, a higher end, I get criticized, you know, because, well, no, you should be doing this, you should be doing this. And, you know, again, we've, we've, you've related and you've just made it very enjoyable for me to just to kind of be myself and talk. So uh, I really thank you, but I just want your audience just to, uh, just to know that you're a real class guy, you're a real stand-up guy. And well, I appreciate I, that, Alan, and thank you very. Yeah. And I will, uh, you know, I will. Go ahead. You could send me that. You could send me the check, you know, for that opening anytime you want. Um, <laughs> but I'm sincere about that. I'm, I'm really sincere about that. I appreciate that. Um, and and thank you for the kind words. You know, I I agree <clears throat> with with you know what you said about uh, unfortunately in the profession I think and and the golf industry has started to recognize this now. Um, here in the last several years that, uh, and I'm not saying this is a criticism to much of the instruction in the past. I think, you know, you know what you know at the time and obviously through science and through other uh, technology, you know, we're starting to understand the golf swing a little bit different. But I think what, what golf instructors are starting to understand is one swing does not fit all. Um, everybody's different. Their body styles are different. Um, they're uh, physicalities are different and I think that for um, many of the traditional golf instructors over the years tried to sort of pigeonhole everybody into the same box and you can't do that there are certain key moves and certain key things fundamentals within the swing um, that are key and, and do have to be uh, adhered to um, but how you get to those uh, is is up for debate by a lot of uh, top instructors now so um, you're exactly right, and and I think that you've you've put together something that you've proven to yourself to be very successful, and that's why you put it in a book. So, um, just to, to I mean, I've already explained a little bit about who you are now, but why don't you just talk uh, just maybe for a few moments uh, a little bit about who you are in general and sort of how you got to where you are now? Uh, well, without giving away the store too much here. Um, Next right. week, I'm going to be eligible for Social Security. So uh, right. <laughs> there's uh, basically an idea of my age. Um, I took up the game in, uh, when I was 10 years old. All right? I, I kind of fell in love. By the way, I fell in love with color TV in 1963, and that's, that was the early days of color TV. And golf was one of those early shows that was on in color. Right. And uh, I was able to start watching golf. I was a sports nut growing up. And uh, that's when Arnold Palmer was coming on the scene. So I kind of fell in love with Arnie, started following the game, and then I found out that my father played. So I started taking up the game. But I got to tell you, I started um, not going out on a golf course, but going over to the local school or being in my backyard, just using some of his right. his hand-me-downs hand or cut-downs or whatever. And by the way, I was listening to the show, <clears throat> you know, I was listening to most of the show while I was waiting here, and I agree wholeheartedly with, you know, what, what Clint and Chuck had said, um, kind of about picking some lower yardages, 60 yards in, shorter shots, and master those and get used to those. And that's what I was, those were really the only shots I was able to practice. And that was for a right. few years. That was for a few years, you know, with a friend over at the schoolyard, and you know, there wasn't a lot of practice, but it's funny how that's the best part of my game right now. And right. what they were also talking about, um, yeah, I miss a lot of greens. By the way, I these days, uh, I play to about a seven-something index. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm a, I'm still I consider myself a single digit handicap. My goal every time I go out is to break 80. Um, I'm realistic about it, uh, and I have fun. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm good enough of a player to enjoy myself and to play with basically anybody and not embarrass myself. Um, enjoyment is very important. Um, so I feel like I'm good enough to enjoy the game and play it at a high level, you know, on, on any kind of a course. But I'm not so good that I beat myself up when I don't hit a perfect shot. And that's where it comes. You know, that's right. where my, my, my beginning days are my savior because I'm good with my wedges. I'm good with my pitch shots. I'm good within 50, 60 yards and even shorter. And I'm good out of the bunker. And, you know, I don't beat myself up because it's expected. So I just go, OK, let me let me get up and down, you know, and I, you know, I, it, it's pretty good. So where am I? Um, Gosh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like a working stiff and, you know, we've gone through kind of what I'm doing right now. I'm, uh, I'm paying the price these days for being an entrepreneur or at least an entrepreneur wannabe. Um, I'm spending a lot of time doing a job I do not like, but got to pay the bills. So my Friday golf game, which is tomorrow, because I'm off on Fridays, um, is very special to me. Unfortunately, since the middle of last summer, it seems to rain every Friday, or at least threaten to rain every Friday, like what tomorrow's going to be. Uh, right. You know, so it's kind of like the gods are saying to me, uh, you know, you still got to go through some uh, pain and suffering through this whole process. So, right. You know, again, I'm kind of that guy that got to, I got to pick up my, uh, I carry the lunch pail every day. I got to pick myself up from my bootstraps, but deep down inside. Um, you know, I'm an athlete. I've played all sports growing up, and right now golf is basically the only one that I can continue to play. And, uh, you know, I work at it. I work out during the winter. And what they were talking about before, I'm one of those Northeasters that has to put down the clubs, you know, during the winter, kind of start over again right. every year. And I actually take advantage of it now. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. And over the last X amount of years, um, I've not only – um, increase my strengthening um, type of activities, but I've been stretching for years and years and years now, which I never ever did when I was growing up. You right. know, and the combination now of more strength, but the stretching, I'm hitting the ball as well as I, you know, almost as, as long as I ever have. At least it seems that way right now, uh, and I'm happy to say that at you know at my age. So golf is very special to me. It's 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 I've always been a competitive person. Um, but there's just something about this game that, uh, you know, it's hard not to love. So I got to yeah. be honest with you. I, I know I'm getting off topic here a little bit, but it disturbs no, okay. me to watch, to, to watch people that are playing the game. I mean, that love the game. I mean, they're so thrilled to go out and play golf every day or whenever they play until they tee it up and start playing the game. And then yep. immediately it starts looking like they're, they're going through a war. And it, it's funny. I mean, it's it's funny, but it's sad to watch because it shouldn't be that way. This is a game, you know. Games are supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be enjoyable. Right. Uh, we let's agree. You know, it doesn't. It it always isn't that way. But it's not life and death. And nobody put a gun to your head to you know have you go out there. So that's kind of like my philosophy. Well, I'm not you, sure if and, I I'm not sure if I answered your question, but <laughs> there we no. are. You answered it perfectly, and, and and it raises a very interesting point, uh, Alan, 
that you mentioned, and a, a key word there is fun. There are a lot of players, uh, and I'm talking obviously amateur players out there, that are not having fun. In fact, a lot of people um, certainly have, are getting into the game, new, new people coming into the game, um, some, you know, uh, sort of re, what I call restarts. They played maybe when they're younger and stopped playing for one reason or another, maybe family obligations or work obligations, and are starting up again. But there's also those folks that have dropped out out of frustration. And it's because, like you said, they're going out there, they played for, for a number of years, and they stopped having fun. And for a while, uh, even though you didn't stop, there was a point when you weren't having as much fun either. You know, you were, um, you know, you'd mentioned that you struggled uh, with a part of your game. Uh, you know, you were a big slicer of the ball, and it was causing you uh, obviously some anxiety at that time because you enjoyed golf. And, you know, you weren't having as much fun as you obviously are now. And that obviously led to the book. So talk a little bit about that. What happened, you know, how, how did your game sort of go from that and how do it, did it evolve now? And then, of course, we'll talk about the book. From the first time I hit a golf ball, by the way, I played baseball and hitting the ball was not unnatural to me. Hitting down on the ball was kind of a natural thing. I was, I was, I was always good at hitting it. But from the first swing, it went from left to right, and I'm a righty. Right. You know, so that's just kind of the way it was. And when I really started playing, uh, I played a fade. You know, and when I started getting better, um, I didn't try to change it. So I hit a power fade, and I, I, I played well with it. Uh, there was a point in time, though, just through either be stress-related, work-related, um, through injury or whatever. And then I got to tell you, my workout routine in the early 1990s uh, really destroyed my game. Right. Uh, I, lifted we- I lifted weights, and because I didn't stretch, um, I just started going outside in more and more. My divots showed that I was cutting across the ball. So my power fade was starting to turn into an out-of-control slice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's now kind of – now we're really kind of talking about my longer game. The short game, the strange part about that was I started also at the same time to lose my ability to hit my pitching wedge. You know, and as an amateur or as anybody, you know, you have your yardages and 100 yards, pitching wedge, and in, you know, that kind of thing. But I, if it was 100 yards, I'd use my pitching wedge. Well, there's a point where I couldn't reach anymore with my pitching wedge. And the more and more I looked at it, I go, wait a minute, I'm hitting the ball right in the center of the club. I can see that, but I'm not getting any distance out of it. And I, I mean, I started to lose distance. I started to hit the ball all over the place. The funny thing was my scores were not really showing that I was having problems because, again, I was able to recover by chipping the ball. And I really don't know how because I was a terrible putter. But either way, my scores didn't suffer as much as I felt like my game did. And then it just got to the right. point where it got to the point where look, I, I got to fix this. This is this is not enjoyable coming up short, being in the bunkers all the time, and just knowing I should be able to make these shots, but I'm just not doing I'm just not doing this right. So I said to myself, finally, I got to fix this. And you know, I went to the logical place, and this is before Golf Channel. The logical place was the magazines. You know, let's look and see what the pros are saying. And by the way, mm-hmm. whatever I say here, I'm not trying to discredit anybody. Um, sure. It comes out. It comes out that way sometimes. And in the book, when I kind of do the beginning part, yeah, I take a poke or two at at, at kind of what 
why I had to fix this myself. But I started to, you know, to kind of read and everything. And unfortunately, the stuff that I read was not helping me when I went to the practice range. If you have a crappy practice session and you're hitting the ball fat and, and you're doing poorly, that's not productive to practice for a long time. And that's what was happening to me. And I literally right. hit rock bottom to where I got to enjoy this game, but I'm not enjoying it the way I'm playing it. So I got to fix it. How do I fix it? So I went to the logical place. It only made things worse for me. And then kind of by accident, I saw what I consider the missing ingredient. And that was through, you know, kind of an accident, being in the wintertime watching TV and just seeing the right infomercial at the right time, focusing on the power that's in your wrists, in your hands. And like I said, this is outside the box. This is kind of counterintuitive to a lot of what's being taught. But I immediately started thinking, wait a minute, I hit a baseball and I use my wrists and I snap and, you know, kind of you, you break your wrists. It's that kind of terminology. And I couldn't wait for winter to end so I can go out in the spring. And let me just try breaking my wrist the way I hit a baseball with the golf club, you know, with the golf ball. And I was mm-hmm. amazed at how quickly my ball striking improved. My distance came back. I didn't fix everything. It was somewhat inconsistent. I kept trying to come up with these different things, different positions for my hands. But immediately I changed from trying to use my body as much as I did, where I was kind of literally screwing myself into the ground by trying to turn so much that now I had a power source that I, I didn't think was a, was you're supposed to use in the game of golf. Mostly because it just seemed to be the everybody said it's taboo to use your hands. Mm-hmm. The the club will square naturally. Well, <laughs> I'd look up in the sky and I say, you know what, that's not natural for me. So I started becoming more of a wristy player, at least at the beginning, and I changed my whole focus. I also changed the way that I practiced. But there was this one day, this one magical day, that I kind of skipped skipped out during the day I worked at home it was a nice day I went out to my golf course with a wedge and my normal my normal workout routine just to practice is about a 20 yard shot into a practice bunker right there by the practice screen so I put a couple balls down and I went to take my my first little shot into the into the bunker again this is with my wedge that I was having a lot of trouble with I wasn't hitting any kind of distance with it and this, 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 this voice in my head as I was kind of taking the club back said, use your wrist action on this. And with a very little backswing, I used my wrist action on this shot, and the ball flew right over the bunker. I didn't even feel a shot. You know, it was that perfect sweet spot type of shot. And right. I thought, what the, heck, what the heck did I just do? Boy, did that <laughs> feel good. You know, and then I, I did it again. And I said, wait a minute. I made a very short backswing. So it's not like a split second, you, you know, you can't see anything. I saw my hands rotate into, this, into the ball. Kind of the way that you were told is going to happen naturally. But mm-hmm. I also noticed, wait a minute, if I really want to boil it down, I would swear that I made a thumbs down at the golf ball, meaning my right hand, my top hand, was kind of going thumbs down at the ball i tried it again and the club squared and i hit it solid and i got to tell you for years and years and years even if i'd hit a good shot with my irons they also they never really felt i'm hitting on the sweet spot right always a little bit of vibration you know it's like 
okay, I can get it there, um, but it's not a pure shot. It, it doesn't doesn't feel like that that perfect shot. I just hit three perfect shots in a row, and from that point forward, my practice sessions were no longer with my driver, the way I used to start. They were more mm-hmm. with a wedge or a nine iron, and all I did was just kind of focus on making good ball contact. So the first rendition of the book was called Solid Contact. That was the first title of it, because that's what I was trying to do. Just make solid contact and focus now on impact and that last split second, as opposed to trying to fix my swing to get into the right position. It was kind of like totally thinking in reverse. Start with solid ball contact and work backwards. Kind of think like a contrarian. And the only reason I did it that way, Ted, because it worked. <laughs> Results mean a whole lot yep. to me. So that's how I kind of got started with it. Well, and the fact and, is, and the after thing, I did me... it, go ahead. Sorry. What I was just going to say is what the interesting thing, and I want to point out to the listeners here is, you know, as you put it yourself, you're an average Joe, a recreational golfer. You're not a seat, uh, you know, a certified teacher professional. Um, and, you wrote this book, and we'll talk about that in just a second, um, because like so many out there, and, and I'll be the first to admit, I mean, I'm in, in the golf profession, you know, I'm a teacher professional, and, you know, a lot of people over the years have come to me and said, you know, I've really struggled with my game, I've read this, I've watched that, you know, I've listened to this, and it's just not helping my game, and a lot of it is because it, they're not really being diagnosed properly. And I think one of the criticisms, and it's not as bad today, but it was for a long time, is too many times the professionals were trying to sort of reinvent the wheel and were changing a lot of components of somebody's golf swing to the point that it was not their natural body movements anymore. It was some other concoction. And I think this frustrated a lot of people. And, you know, as you said, you went and, and sort of sought out some of the uh, professional advice in the magazines, and I've read them too over the years, and certainly some great tips, but it's not something that's necessarily going to work for everybody. And I think this is why uh, it's important to share your story because you're one of those people that went down that path for a long time and only ended up being more frustrated. So um, this is why, again, the reason why I wanted to share your story with my audience because there's a lot of recreation golfers out there that have felt the same way as what you did and I want them to understand what you've done to make the difference. You know, Ted, what really frustrated me more than anything else, when you when you read some of these magazines and you look at the fold-out that will have a professional's mm-hmm. golf swing from many different angles, you know, right. they show like six, 16 different frames, and they show yep. the takeaway, and they show everything, except they would show the club at about waist height, and then they would show it at waist height past the ball. And they they, right. they kind of they kind of left out the whole impact area. Yet right. after they finished hitting, you'd see them all in the same exact position. You know, with their right hand over the top, their right you know the kind of the right hand parallel to the ground, kind of a palm down, in what I call the classic power position. And I said, okay, how did you get in that position? What did you do? And that was the and, and it's kind of like what I write in the book. That's the portion of the golf swing where my brain was saying to me, what do I do now from the waist to the ball? Because all too often in my game, especially with my irons, 
I would know that club's not in a good position, and where is it going to go when I hit it? So my brain said, what do, you, you know, what, what do I do now? And that's the part of the game that I fixed. You see, now I have a trigger in my brain, not in my brain, I now have an actual motion, something that I can do. Forget about all the mental stuff. Just do this, and guess what's going to happen? The club is going to square. The club is going to be in the power position. And right now we're only talking about power shots. We're not talking about you know, anything fancy, but this is where you want to hit the ball solid, you want to hit it right. I now was able to get the club in the power hitting position by just doing a particular motion. In this case, it's making a thumbs down at the golf ball, snapping my wrists the same way I would if I'm making a baseball swing and turning the club down at the golf ball. As I'm hitting down, turn the club down. And how do you make that happen? Just go thumbs down. So it's not only a mental thing, it's a trigger. The thumbs are the triggers. They Mm -hmm. trigger the hands. The hands hold the golf club. You use your wrists the same way that Henry Aaron, the smallest and greatest home run hitter of all time and everything, was able to hit the ball out of the park because he had very strong wrists. He's able to control the bat. What I tell my, my beginners that I teach at Princeton that are just getting into it at the beginning I start out by saying, listen, I just want you to know this. This golf ball is not very smart. It only knows a couple of things. It knows the position of the golf club when it's hitting it, and it knows the speed. Basically, that's all the golf ball knows, and it's going to show you the results of the position of the club and the speed of the club. That's what we want to focus on when we, you know, when we start hitting it. But right now, I want you to work on your swings. That's kind of the way I boil everything down. Maybe I put myself down. I don't think I'm smart enough, but I believe I really, really simplify this, mostly because if it isn't simple, I can't do it. So that's what I – and then, you know, again, the bottom line for me was I found something that actually gave me the results that I was looking for. And then once I found it, then I started working backwards. Now how do I I enhance this by practicing the right way and, you know, kind of doing my drills? And by the way, in the book – and not only give you the technique on how to do this, um, the book is filled with pictures, and the pictures are um, redrawn pictures from these magazines that are people like Fred Couples, Mark O'Meara, Jack Nicholas is in the book, Stewart is in the book, every one of the people that's in the book, including Annika Sorenstam, uh, Julie Inkster, they've all won professional tournaments. They've all won majors. What am I saying? They've all won majors. And I've had, and Tiger Woods, what am I saying? I got a lot of pictures of Tiger. And when you look at him blown up, what his hands are doing at impact, you wouldn't know it because that's not what he talks about. He talks about all these, all these guys talk about all these different motions and things, yet at impact, their hands are in the same position. They're rotating through the ball, they're squaring the club. And they're adding motion to motion. Right. So, what we, again, the most important thing to me is what I believe I've created here is not a recreation of, of everything that's ever been done in golf. But I believe this is, at least for me, it's just the missing ingredient that I think most of us glance over and don't even think about. The same way the pictures in the magazines just kind of glance over impact like it's natural, like centrifugal force is going to square the club and make everything happen. It just didn't work that way for me. 
So I had to write about it. You know, again, once you once you have something, I'm entrepreneurial. I said, well, hey, maybe, because you look out on the golf course and you just say, everybody that's out here is a serious golfer, and I bet you none of them are focused on what I'm focused on. So I thought I had the holy grail right there. I had to write about it. You, you know, it's interesting, Alan, that you bring that up because, you know, and you talk about a lot of these other golfers. You know, if you look at um, whether it be Freddie, whether it be Tiger, and and many of the others that you mentioned, um, they all have inherently different golf swings. But you're right; when you focus into that impact position, they all make that same move. And if you look at all of the golfers, you know, in the past, Nicholas, Trevino, um, you know, Palmer, again, they all had inherently different golf swings, but they all had that same move at impact. And you're right. You know, too much golf instruction focuses on all the other areas, um, and I'm always a firm believer. I don't care how you get to it, but when you get to impact, you've got to be in this position. And if you want to do two twirls and a loop at the top of your backswing, I couldn't care less. As long as when you come into impact, this is how your uh, your club face and how your hands are positioned. Um, and this is where I think golf instruction has missed the boat for many, many years is they've confused with a lot of clutter and, and it was well intended, but I think they were trying to perfect the perfect golf swing. And as you know, everybody's swing is different. And if you try to put everybody in the same box um, without really giving them the meat and potatoes of it, um, you're not going to get the results desired. And I think this is what's frustrated so many people uh, along the way. And obviously you've had to, to sort of go out and, uh, and, and find this out for yourself. And I think that um, by writing about it and sharing your journey just adds that much more credibility um, because the fact that you're not in the golf profession, uh, say, as I am or some of the other teach professionals are, you're somebody that's learned through your own journey, and now you're wanting to share it with others um, uh, on what's you know, been able to make uh, you, know, you a, a, a better player and, and back to enjoying the game at a much higher level. Um, and, and also, I just want to make a note because I want to move on to – um, the business side as well, because I know you want to talk about that, but I want the folks to know, and, and if you want to make some brief comments, that's fine. Um, you were actually selected uh, by the Golf Channel to appear on a Four Inventors Only uh, segment where you actually got to talk about um, this uh, move, and you've also been in some other uh, local media uh, featured as well. Uh, just talk briefly about that, and then we'll move on to uh, the business side of golf. Well, look, I'm I'm really proud um, that I was chosen by the Golf Channel. Now, I'm watching TV one day, and I turn on the Golf Channel, and right as I turn it on, um, here comes this preview. says, do you have the next best thing in golf? And I look at the TV, and I say, you talking to me? <laughs> and in that case, it just happened to be the right time <laughs> of my life when right. I was looking, what am I, what am I going to do with this? What, how am I going to take the next step? And the TV was asking me, do you have the next hot thing in golf? And there was a preview for this new show that they were doing, this reality show for inventors, everyday people that had invented products, you know, to show them off. And, and they were going to have, they had a competition. They had about 1,200 people auditioning around the country. Um, so they had one coming up in New Jersey. I checked it out. Um, I signed up. I went to the audition. Um, I was number 60 online or something, and you got to wait all day. Um, and you know, you gotta, you gotta make the cut and everything. 
So uh, I went through my, my thing, and a month later, waited a month, I get this phone call. says to me, uh, we'd like you to come on TV, you know, come on and compete for the top prize. So, you know, I jumped up and down and said, wow. You know, the next thing I thought to myself was, well, you're not going to win this thing, but boy, just the fact that I'm, I'm going down there. So it was a thrill to be chosen. Uh, I will say that I made it to the cutting room floor. <laughs> Meaning, <laughs> I mean, it's a whole different story. I was presenting <laughs> at the end of the day. I was presenting to three, two golf professionals. One of them being Billy Harmon, the Harmon mm-hmm. family. You know, right. and here I have an amateur's way of fixing something. So, I mean, the moment that I heard who the panel was: Fulton Allen, um, Billy Harmon. And the editor of Golf for Women magazine, Stina Steinberg or Sternberg or something. Right. So I patted the guy, I, I, the guy next to me. I patted him on the back. I said, "Well, nice knowing you, because uh, I'm not making it very far with this group." And yeah, they, uh, you know, they they interrupted me about 30 seconds into my presentation, and basically said, "No, you know, there's nothing new about this. This is how I teach." Yeah, I've been doing this for years. Those are the kind of comments I got. But it wasn't new. It wasn't a new invention. So they kind of right. shot me down. And, 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 and the lady said, well, don't, don't quit your day job on this, on this thing. Because what did I show them? I showed them a little handmade book. Those were in the days when I was making these myself. Nothing published. Right. Just, just totally made on the company copier, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. the, the prototype versions. I needed something to show them. I gave them all that. So I knew I wasn't making it, but I was thrilled to be there. It was terrific, and I got recognized, and, you know, to me, I was a winner. So that's how, the, that's how that, that, that Golf Channel thing went. That same year, I decided um, I, I went to a publicity event in New York City, and uh, that's where they had uh, people from the media looking for new talent. That's how they discover mm-hmm. people that are going to be on the, on the shows in the morning and stuff like that. So uh, I... I Spoke to the Comcast people. They had a morning show, and they wanted me to be the golf business guy. So I did that. I, I, I have that video of me being the golf business guy on Comcast Your Morning. And then mm-hmm. later that year, um, I contacted the one of the local shows here, Inside Golf, and uh, I'd already been in contact with the uh, the producer. Um, but to get on the show, I needed something special. I said, Hey, I'm going to be on the Golf Channel. And that just kind of opened the door. So he and I, uh, we played probably a couple of weeks before um, he invited me to be on the show, and we played in a in a, a corporate event, a charity event, and I was able to watch his game. And guess what? He had a slice. He's a casual <laughs> golfer. He had a slice, and he was about a 12, 13 handicap. So he was my target audience. Those are the people that I was really looking to. Um, I, I felt like they were my sweet spot. So I was able to at least see him play, and then it came to the day that we were doing the, the filming, um, and you know there were no outtakes here. This was all in the first the first time, and then uh, the, you know it's, we got there, and the next thing we know, they're rolling the cameras, so everything was live, and he hits a couple of shots, and he sliced them. I said, okay, here, try this, just just try this now, and immediately, he's hitting the ball well. And then he hits, he kind of overhits hmm. it left because one of the things, once you're a slicer 
and you're using a grip that really is, is, is kind of more like I don't, it's an anti-slice grip, well, once you start squaring the club, now you've got a hook. And that's what happened to me. I, was, I went from over-slicing to over-hooking, and I never hooked the ball with an iron. So I had to start making some adjustments with my hands now. So I made those adjustments, and on the fly, I said, well, now, you know what we need to do? We need to just make an adjustment with your hands here. Try this. And all of a sudden, he's hitting the ball well. He even said, um, he, he kind of explained what was happening because he asked me a question. I said, well, you just tried it. Tell me what happened. And he explains to the audience, well, I, I was a slicer. Now I'm hitting the ball really well, and I'm hitting it high. I, I never hit a high ball. I said, well, you just did in front of me. So on the fly, you know, this thing just showed me it worked. Just kind of just right. impromptu in a, in, a, in a few minutes, and we have it on film. So that's my video that I actually include with the book when I sell it as a package. So I've got the supporting material, both for Turn Golf and the business, and for, you know, the thumbs down and, and the book and the power move, the method. Uh, so, you know, now I've got myself some infrastructure and uh, yeah, some nice experiences along the way. Right, and 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 nothing is gives you greater satisfaction, especially when it's on the fly like that, to have the the you know the commentator um, to be able to experience exactly what you're talking about live on air. I mean, you couldn't ask for for a better uh, uh, circumstance to turn it out. And, and I want to talk about now uh, for a few moments, um, since you sort of set us up for it. Um, obviously, the book was was sort of um, a, a piece, if you will, of a larger puzzle uh, called Turn uh, Golf into Business, or TGIB, uh, which is a, a marketing and business development platform that uh, helps capitalize on the power and the popularity of golf and the powerful golf uh, business connection. So talk a little bit about that, how you came up with that, and what you're looking to accomplish uh, through TGIB. As you so appropriately said in the opening there, um, I was a sales professional for many years. I mean, that's what I did for that's what I did for my living. And in order to create rapport with people, to open up doors, to kind of you know, pe- people do business with people they like, and and building relationships is universal. And I don't care what industry you're in, and I don't even care what we're talking about here. It's important in a lot of different ways of, of life. But I was in the sales business. And um, I always use sports kind of as a way to talk to people. You know, I mean, I, I was very shy growing up and stuff, and I knew sports. So that, that was the way of kind of starting a conversation. <clears throat> so uh, that was kind of natural for me. And, you know, sports kind of gravitated a lot to golf. So what I what I kind of came up here with, with was – well, during my entire career, I, you know, this is what I did. I would use sports. I would use golf to open doors, to create rapport, to build goodwill, to build relationships, to network, and always thinking of this whole idea. People do business with people they like. Mm-hmm. And then I was just, you know, just kind of putting into practice stuff that I did myself. I didn't have to learn anything new. I already knew it. And I... Immediately, you know, I started kind of building this, this this platform that used golf, because, you know, golf is not only very popular, it's the same way as using football. You know, you there's a big football game coming up, 
and people are talking about it. They're rallying around it. They have parties, Super Bowl parties and all that. So, again, what I'm doing here is not reinventing the wheel, but I'm taking advantage of the power of the sport to do all the things that are important. As you know, I keep saying, open doors, create rapport, build relationships, network, and all that kind of stuff. So all I'm doing is kind of recreating a, a platform around the idea of business development or sales. I, sometimes we don't like using that word. Marketing and promoting by using the sport. Now, I also I already had an instructional piece. I was very good during my career at making presentations in front of people. I mean, I made thousands of presentations. So I was I was pretty good in front of a group. So I call that education. And what 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 am I educating? I'm teaching people to use the sport the way I did. They always say that you know, golf or sports sometimes take on, take on the same characteristics as life. Well, it's mm-hmm. absolutely true. Right. And then the other piece, the other piece of my puzzle <clears throat> like, is fundraising. Um, there was some times several years ago when I would attend golf outings, helping them raise money. Because most of the golf outings, that's what their purpose is. They're either charities, nonprofits, or some organization that's paying tribute to somebody, whatever, but they're trying to raise money and they want sponsors. And they, again, every dime that they collect is a bonus. So, um, I started out by trying, by trying to help the local, um, local PAL, their golf outing. I ran a beat the pro kind of contest, beat my drive, donate $5. It will go to the event and if you beat me, you you are in the running to win either a prize that they have there or we set up a 50-50 or something like that. It it helped right. the event. It also helped me show off. You know, because who am I competing against? In most cases, I'm competing against everyday people, hackers, that are there to enjoy themselves. And more often than not, I'm going to win. But I, you know, for me, winning was not the important thing. But the fact right. is, I hit the ball better than they did. So I, I built some credibility in myself. It was a win-win. It's definitely a win-win. So now I've kind of I, I've polished this up quite a bit over time, and the golf outing is very, very important to me. It's a very, it's a very good venue to accomplish a lot of things. Number one, I can help the event by helping them raise funds. Um, I can show off my products. And I now have an audience that is kind of – it's a captive audience. And a captive audience in a relaxed, non-competitive environment. Well, that's rare to find. Now, people do business with people they like. Well, I get to shake hands with everybody that's out there. And if I have a sponsor there with me, they get to shake hands with everybody that's out there. All of a sudden, thinking like a contrarian – this is the opposite of major media, you know, where they're looking for eyeballs. Well, I call this grassroots marketing. I'm now eyeball to eyeball with your target audience, you as Mr. Sponsor, that wants to sell their products. But we're doing it kind of the old-fashioned way, by building relationships. And what better place to do that than the golf course? So, again, right. what, I've tr- what, I, what right. I now no, try I... to accomplish is everything I've done along the way here – put into one package, kind of an a la carte or, or a buffet 
of different services and things that'll help various different people. And I have various areas of, of kind of expertise throughout my, my career. And that's really what turn golf in the business is, is really all about a, a, a very comprehensive platform, as I call it, of all these different services. But it's really focused on, you know, and, sales, and what's helping people again, sell. Right, and and what's really interesting about that, Alan, is is the fact that, again, and I, I'm not, I don't want to emphasize that on this, but you know, not being somebody that's traditionally in the golf industry, you've taken your experiences based on. Uh, your instructional experience on what you've done to teach yourself on how to be a better golfer. Uh, you've used your sales background, obviously, uh, and business background, and you combined all that and put them together and then incorporated some fundraising and education along the way. And now you're able to offer a service, if you will, through TGIB to help others capitalize on the game of golf and utilize it, which is really um, what sort of creates a uniqueness, if you will, um, for what you're being able to offer uh, because the fact that you're not, you know, because, I mean, I know there's teaching professionals out there that do golf business and get involved in business networking groups and things like that, but it's a little bit different because they're specific in teaching golf. Um, but you've got a, a general and overall um, business background in various areas that you've sort of pulled together, and, again, you're using it through the TGIB platform um, to be able to market it and present it in such a way that, as you said, it's a win-win for not only you, but it's also a win-win for uh, the events that are being held and also for sponsors that, that want to get involved in it as well. It gives them a chance to get their products and or services in front of a, a marketable uh, audience, and uh, you're able to help them network through that through TGIB. Ted, I'm happy to say you get it. <laughs> That's what I believe I've created. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I'll well, pat myself and, on the back. And I think I've done and, a good and, job. It's right, just and, now a matter of execution. <laughs> right. Well, it, it's like anything, you know. It, and again, you you equate it to life. I mean, you know, we all are on a journey, and sometimes it takes, um, you know, a little of this over here, a little over of, of this over there, and then when you start putting all those pieces together, then you start to to get a, a greater vision. So. You know, obviously, you had to to develop your game to such a point that you were comfortable and confident with your game, and that doesn't mean you're the best golfer out there, but it just means that you've learned um, what works and what has improved your game substantially uh, and brought you a lot of enjoyment. So you're able to utilize that part of it, and then again, you're bringing your business and sales background um, to appeal to obviously the business people out there, um, and sort of putting all that together, um, you know, in a, in a form of a service that can help unify um, companies and consumers together uh, out on the golf course or at a golf uh, event. So, um, you know, great job in putting that together. And, and I know that like any, you know, good idea, it, it takes an idea first off, and then it takes years of cultivating and tweaking and, and what have you. Um, before it, it, you know it, it's going to come to fruition, but I have no doubt that you know, with uh, as you said earlier, the conversations that you and I have had, the marathon uh, discussions, I have no uh, you know qualms that this is going to be a very successful venture for you. Um, I, I also want to talk about just very quickly, if we can, uh, about a couple of other products that sort of complementary products 
um, that you mentioned in the back uh, the last time when you were on, and one was the card keeper uh, and the ad tag. Talk a little bit about how they play a role. Well, from the very beginning, when I when I finally came up with this, realized it worked, and said I'm going to write a book, that was the same time that Harvey Penick was still a very big name, and Butch right. Harmon was coming on. Butch Harmon was coming on the scene with Tiger, and um, David Ledbetter with Greg Norman, and and all of a sudden these these names were out there, and who's Alan Martin? Nobody's going to take me seriously. So from day one, first of all, what I really tried to accomplish from day one was to create something, and if it didn't work, I wasn't going to go broke. So my my original idea was to make some make a how-to book, which was not on the market at the time. I mean that was that was my incentive here. I need something to fix my game, something I can bring to the range with me, that had something simple in it that I could practice, see the results, and that's it. You know, I'll feel good about my practice session. And then every bit is important when I'm on the golf course. I want to remember it. And all too often with people, they remember what they need to do on the 16th or 17th hole. They don't remember early on. Oh, gee, if I'd remembered this at the beginning, I would have played a better round. Why did I wait so long? So my idea was, okay, I have an instruction, instructional product. I want to make it not like a book, but I want to make it more like a how-to guide, have a lot of pictures in it, and now I have to package it. And by the way, what I really like to do with it is package it in such a way that it turns into kind of a promotional product with a golf theme because I'm not going to get anywhere trying to build the best instruction book out there because I'm a nobody. Nobody's going to take me seriously. So that's kind of what I intended to do, a a how-to instructional product with something that works, actually works, that's simple, easy to read, easy to understand, and something you can actually use to practice and then use on the course. Now, to use it on the course, how am I going to do that? So I came up with this idea, gee, if I could attach it to the golf bag, and by the way, Harvey Penick had his little red book, well, I'm attracted to the color orange. I knew I couldn't make this book red, but I liked the idea of having a color. And I also made it, the pictures in the book are re, redrawn by, a, uh, by an artist, and they look like cartoons, because that's what I took from another book that I had read, whatever. And now the, the real hard part was the packaging. Okay, I want to put it on the golf bag like it's a bag tag, so I need, I need a clear pouch. Little did I know at the time, there is no such thing as just a clear pouch that'll do what I wanted to do. It wasn't, you know, it, it just wasn't a standard part. So I had to somehow, how am I going to do this? And it took me a lot of wear and tear to finally come up with the idea, I got to create this myself. So I found a, a plastic manufacturer somewhat locally that agreed that together we would come up with that pouch that I was looking for. And the, the, again, the pouch's idea was the book would go in the pouch. The pouch would then be on the bag, like a bag tag. On one side, you'd see the, the cover of the book. On the other side, you would see some sponsor's name. So it's now a promotional product. But the important right. thing is, it's bright orange. So every time I go to reach for my bag for a club, I'm going to see the orange. I don't want you to read the book while, it's, while you're on the course. 
but you're going to see the orange. Now, this is the earliest gyration of this thing, and it becomes a mental reminder. So all of a sudden, I've got mm. another feature here. Wait a second. Inside is a training product, so it's a training aid, but it's a training aid that I could actually bring on the golf course with me and use while I'm playing, which is very unique. I, you know, Again, most training aids, you can't use them on the course. So I started right. positioning this as a – I called it a teach-yourself guide. Not learn this, but teach yourself. Here's exactly what you should do. Go to the range. I've got some drill. Here's what you want to do. I've got some drills for you to practice. And now I'm going to allow you to take this to the golf course with you so you remember it. That's how that originally happened. So that's how that pouch came about. The pouch was also created with like two sleeves in it. So if you don't want to put it on the golf bag, which I got to tell you, I had a lot of resistance with that. There was another, another pouch in there where you could slip your scorecard and put a pencil in, put it in your back pocket. Because we all know what happens when you put your scorecard and your pencil in your pocket, and it's a real hot day. <laughs> it doesn't last right. very long, does it? It doesn't last very long, does no. it? No. Now, I'm not going to tell you at this, at this time, we don't have enough time for me to go into the incentive to why right. I even thought of a scorecard holder, um, but that's kind of what I came up with. And right. Very- for whatever, yeah, there, were, there were reasons I picked the name for it, so um, it's called the card keeper. Right. Very interesting. And, and um, I, I agree. I think it's, you know, anytime that you can, you know, create something like that and, and it takes a, a lot of ingenuity. I mean, you know, there's a lot of great products out there, but as you said, a lot of them you can't take on the golf course. And I like the fact that you put a lot of thought and, and detail into how you wanted this to, to sort of unpack. Um, I want to take the last few moments cause we're, um, we're getting close to our time, unfortunately. And I know there was something else that you wanted to talk about tonight. I'm going to let you uh, take the lead on that, and then I'll add some thoughts in it as well. Well, we're going to go one step further. Um, Again, this idea of having a training aid that you could take out on the golf course. Um, Within the writing of the book, um, I have a portion of it that really talks more about alignment and aim and the ability to see your target line. And this has all to do with with ball striking. That's what this was really about. Um, And then one day I realized, well, my putting is getting better, but I still have to work on my aim. So some of the things that I took from the book, I then started to incorporate into the golf ball itself because I was looking to productize this idea of a lot of the alignment tools that I have are just kind of mental. I'm seeing lines that are on the ground that aren't really there. But you can't make any money doing that. So I had to productize it. Well, I ended up productizing it onto a golf ball to use for myself. And the way I did this was I, I used a Sharpie. I actually used the, kind of the writing that's already on the ball. And my alignment tool is really based on, you know, I'm not going to share right now my secret sauce. Right. But I have, I have <laughs> a particular design that I put on the golf ball. And listen, I, I don't want to hide anything but I don't have the patents and I don't have the attorneys and all that stuff. And I am very protective of something like this because I think it's a great idea and I don't want anybody to steal it. But what I was able to do is kind of use my alignment tool and my aiming tool that was geared for ball striking and really use it now for my putting. Because in putting, I really want to see the target line. I want to be able to bring the club straight back and straight forward. And I will share with you that I not only – was able to do it with a Sharpie kind of homemade 
um, and, and help my own putting to that regard, I was then able to find a manufacturer that would make my, uh, my own ball up with my own design. And, you know, again, kind of the, the secret part of this is <clears throat> the alignment and the aiming for a righty and a lefty are not the same. And for right. all those lefties out there that are frustrated that they're taught to um, just do what the righties do, but backwards. No, in the book, I specifically have something that's for lefties from an alignment standpoint because they're facing a different way. And with my golf ball, right. I've been able to create something that's fine-tuned for lefties and then fine-tuned for righties. So if I said to you, I've created a righty and lefty golf ball, you'd say it's a gimmick. And I'm going to say, I know it sounds like a gimmick, but I'll tell you what, the ball is going in the hole a whole lot more for me last year with this new, actually manufactured ball for me than it did before. Right. And again, I'm, ve- I'm very, I'm very somewhat secretive about this, um, but sure. you know, I've kind of scratched the surface here because I don't have that line of attorneys, but I do have it. And the way it's positioned today is it's ideal for putting. So for anybody that's looking to improve their putting and wants to have that visual aid with them while they're playing, well, I'm talking about a golf ball here. It's legal. There's nothing unusual mm. about the ball. The ball itself is a very common two-piece Serlin ball that I actually found performs for me as well as anything because I, I used it all right. last year. Okay? So people can, can get, this, get a couple of these balls for, from me. I will tell you how to use it. And I'd be surprised if you don't improve your putting stroke and get have the ball go in the hole more times than before by using this. I'm also looking to get sponsors to put their logo on it and give them away mm-hmm. at, uh, at events. You know, whatever they were going to – instead of buying the high-priced balls, they could put their label on my ball. And by the way, right, exactly. this, is part of what I do, this is part of what I like to do at the events. I can run a putting contest, raise some money for them. At the same time, I'm promoting the ball, I'm promoting the sponsor, and I'm raising money for the event. It all ties – I mean, what I like about what I put together here, and I've had a lot of time to think about it, it all really ties in into one package. And, again, I kind of label it, this is grassroots. This is the opposite of mass media, a lot of eyeballs. Now, I'm, I'm into feet on the street, eyeball to eyeball, handshake, build relationships. That's what Turn Golf into Business is all about, and that's what my complimentary products are kind of all about. They're all promotional in their own way. Right, exactly. And and let me just add this, and again, I'm not going to give anything away here. You know, obviously, Alan, you've talked to me about um, – I just want to go to the golf ball for a second, and again, I'm not going to give anything away, but, um, you know, when, when you explained to me really the concept behind it, it, it it's very, very simple – in its presentation, but as a golf instructor, I can tell you that based on the information that we discussed the other night, um, it can be a very effective uh, tool. And I've seen a lot of gadgets and gizmos and whatever you want to call them uh, that really do absolutely nothing. And this is is incredibly simple, but yet if you understand the principle and concept behind how to use it and how to get the most out of it, um, I can very easily, and I'm, I'm very excited to, to actually get out and try it myself. 
I haven't had an opportunity yet. You've explained it to me, but I'm going to go out and, and uh, try it this weekend. But, um, you know, I can understand very easily how sometimes the simplest things in life can produce the biggest results. And I think one of the things, if I was to complain about the golf industry, is they've overcomplicated a lot. And I think this has added to the frustration as well. And we've seen it through instruction. We've seen it through, um, you know, some of the products and, and things that have been offered over the years. Uh, a lot of times they've they've gotten too technical in it. And I think sometimes if you just keep it simple, and that's exactly what you've done here uh, with this particular product. And I can see that, if, again, once people understand it a little bit better uh, and see it for themselves, um, they'll they'll get the, the process that you're trying to present here. Um, I want to give you just the last moment or two here to let the folks know if they want to reach out to you, first off, how they can uh, find out more about TGIB. I know you have a website, so if you want to give that information out, and if they want to reach out to you, if people are interested in maybe uh, becoming a sponsor or in, into uh, sponsorship opportunities, uh, how they can contact you. Well, first of all, Ted, I do want to say, um, at the risk of repeating myself, you get it. Everything you said, those are my words. That's what I tried to get across. I thank you for just being genuine about the fact that I, I do believe you get it. So, again, thank you, and that's part of the relationship you and I built. We just see eye to eye on a lot of things. Um, thumbsdowngolf at gmail.com is a way you can get in touch with me anytime. I'm very happy to correspond with people. Thumbsdowngolf at gmail.com. Golfinstructionmade.com will get to get to my homemade website, and on the site you're going to see buttons at the top for turn golf in the business, golf fundraising. I talk about my journey of having an out of control slice, and all that kind of stuff is on golfinstructionmadesimple.com. But please feel free to email me thumbsdowngolf at gmail.com. On there you'll you'll also get my phone number. I take phone calls. I love talking to people. When I sell product, I follow up. I want to know how you're doing. I give a virtual lesson over the phone. I mean, you basically have me for life. I just, I, I just like doing this. This helps me get up in the morning. And, uh, you know, again, I just really enjoy it. So thank you, Ted. Well, I appreciate pleasure it. Being, it's been, uh... Pleasure being on the show. Well, I appreciate, Alan, you coming back on and, and sharing the information again with the audience. And, um, uh, again, uh, I can't, uh, you know, strongly urge the, the folks to, to reach out to Alan. And uh, and also, very quickly, if they're interested in, in uh, maybe getting a copy of the book, can they, can they do that? Where can they go to get that or just reach out to you and you'll uh, direct them? Or, or what can they do? Well, unfortunately, at the moment, my uh, shopping cart company kind of pulled the plug on me without me knowing it. So uh, I'm a little bit disabled with the website. So the website is going to okay. say to you to email me. If you know, okay. if you email me, we we can we can work pretty much everything out. But understand this: the best distribution of the book is an ebook. Okay, so I can very easily email a PDF file to somebody. And then follow up. So the hard copy is a whole different issue. It gets a little bit complicated, a little bit costly. And okay. at the moment, I don't have uh, the best infrastructure, so I do want to share that. Contact me. We can work out something that, that, that works for you. Perfect. 
Well, Alan, I want to thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's been an interesting discussion. It's uh, always uh, interesting to learn new things, and uh, I know the audience will enjoy it as well. So I, pre I appreciate you taking the time to come on and share that with uh, the audience tonight, uh, your, your journey, if you will, into the golf business. And uh, I want to wish you much continued success, not only uh, with the book um, and the instruction, but also uh, with TGIB as well, turning uh, turn golf into business and all of the opportunities it cr uh, creates, and also uh, with the golf ball as well. I think it's a great uh, uh, a great teaching tool, and uh, I think that once people get get one in their hands uh, and give it a try, I think they're going to see the results that you're you're uh, offering. Well, thank you, Ted. And my final words are: sorry about your Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> That's the way it goes. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's it. All right, Alan, thank you very much, and you have a great evening, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks again, Ted. Good night. All right, good night. All right, that was my very special guest, uh, Alan Martin, author of the book Thumbs Down, Golf Instruction Made Simple, uh, and also the creator of Turn Golf Into Business. Uh, I also want to thank uh, the guys earlier on, uh, Clint Wright and Chuck Evans, from the uh, joining me on the Coach's Corner panel a little bit earlier. Uh, don't forget to join me next week here on Golf Talk Live uh, with another panel and a very special guest. And on that note, God bless everybody. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and, of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.